The following audio is from Amaze KC. More information about Amaze KC is available online at www.amazekc.com. Thank you, Jim. Good morning. How are you today? Good to see you today. Good to have you here. If uh, you are a guest with us, it's our joy to have you with us. My name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here. And on behalf of our pastors and our covenant members, welcome to Emmaus. Uh, our hope, our prayer for you today is that from the time you come till the time you leave here, uh, you would grow in your love of Jesus at whatever level that is right now. Perhaps it's none right now, or perhaps you have a love of him. When you leave, we hope that you love him more, that you see him as beautiful and as worthy of your consideration. And so we're praying that for you today. That's the whole purpose of us being here every week is to stir within us a love and a desire for Jesus, for he's all that we have. And so we hope that that is true. We'd love to meet you after the service at the Connect table at the back of the room. I'll be back there. I'd love to talk with you, get to know you, give you information about our church uh, and, and that sort of thing. And so come by and, and talk with us there. Covenant members, don't forget, you can always stop by there to sign up for community groups, to uh, connect with us about um, membership, that sort of thing, and also then to give through the offering box that's at that table. If you're a child, don't forget after the service to bring your sermon notes up to the person who will be wearing this at the front of the room, and uh, which will not be me because these don't match my outfit today, but someone will be up here at the front of the room wearing this, bring your notes up, and they will help give you a prize and a um, treat today, and so um, make sure that you do that. Hey, we got a lot to do. Let's pray. We're going to jump into the Word. Jesus, I thank you for your grace to us today your grace to allow us to gather here, to sing these songs, to be reminded of your faithfulness to us, to be reminded of our dependency upon you, to look across the room and see people sitting here singing songs, knowing their stories of brokenness and hurt, knowing their stories of sin and shame, and yet knowing a Savior who rescues and redeems. May this corporate gathering of ours be more than just individuals coming together and singing songs and listening to a sermon, but may it be a corporate body who gathers and is refreshed by the Spirit with each other so that we might live faithful, so that we might proclaim, declare, display the gospel faithfully this week and through our lives. Would you speak the truth of the word to us today as we unpack this? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, It's good to be back with you. Last week, uh, I was in Bolivar at Freshwater, as were the rest of your pastors. So it was the first time all three of us had been gone from Emmaus at the same time. And we went to Bolivar, Missouri, not because it's some exotic place to go visit on vacation, uh, but because we were celebrating with a church there in their seventh birthday. Freshwater Church celebrated seven years last Sunday. Uh, Technically, today is their seven-year birthday, but we celebrated last week, and we got to go there and and join them for that, and I had the opportunity of, of preaching there for that. We didn't just do that because it's a random church celebrating a birthday. There's churches that celebrate birthdays all the time. We didn't just celebrate with them because they're partners with us in, uh, in Padua, Italy. Uh, that we've linked together the two churches so that we together might be able to reach a city of 260,000 people with the gospel in northeast Italy. We didn't just go celebrate with them because they're a partner church of ours. We went and celebrated with them because that church sent all three of your pastors here to plant this church. 
Right? It was a church that, that I started in 2009. My wife and I moved there in, in 2009 and began the work of planting a church. And I met with a, with a man by the name of Kevin Burleson, who was an OBGYN. He happened to have a house that was large enough to gather a group of 24 of us together in his living room. So 24 of us gathered together in his living room, my wife and I being sent by a church in Springfield, Second Baptist Springfield, to do this church, to plant a church there. So 24 gather in his living room, and that grows and multiplied into um, hundreds of people there over the next months and years. And then out from there began to plant other churches in West Africa, in, in Matura, Italy, in Nicaragua, in Vancouver, Canada, in Jefferson City, Missouri, in Springfield, Missouri. And then last year, two years ago, they sent myself and Pastor Kevin and Pastor Ronnie up from there to here to plant this church. In fact, technically, I was sent by Freshwater Jefferson City, which was their daughter church. So it's like I'm my own grandpa, sort of. It's a very strange feeling. There was this ripple effect that took place out of a church who was committed to the advancement of the gospel, or as we at, at, at Emmaus would call, declaring and displaying the gospel. They were committed to evangelism, they're committed to sharing Jesus, they're committed to proclaiming him, and they were committed to sending people forth with that gospel to preach the gospel and plant churches. And so sometimes that would look like sending people on short-term teams, whether it was for a week or for two weeks, to, to locations like West Africa or Mature or, or Canada. Sometimes it looked like us sending out our members because of vocation to move to different places and, and be a part of churches in those places and strengthen the churches in those places. It often looked like us sending out our elders and our pastors from that church to start new churches and to go lead dying churches and help them grow to strengthen life so that they would be churches that shared the gospel. We had a phrase there that we said often, and it was, we believe that we exist to send out our best. But we really wanted to see the Lord raise up within us people that we would send out, that we would be generous enough to send out the very best that we had. And I can attest to the fact that that was a wonderful phrase, and, and, and I believe the Lord did it. And I can also attest to the fact that I laid there at night, sometimes crying, asking him to stop doing what we had been asking him to do. There were some times where you're just like, God, would you please just take the JV? Right? Take a JV player. Take a, take a freshman player. The guy that dribbles the ball off his foot all the time, take him this time. Right? We're, we're, we're growing tired of seeing the leaders of our church go out and go out and go out those closest to us and dearest to us. And yet the Lord kept taking them until finally he actually even looked to several of the pastors, including myself, to say, hey, are, are you willing to actually be the one that goes this time? And so we set out from there to plant here. Why do I tell you that today? Because today in our text, we have what appears at first glance to be maybe the most mundane part of this entire letter. Right in the middle of Paul's letter to the church of Philippi, we have his travel log. Right in the middle of it, he pauses from this proclamation of the gospel, and he pauses from declaring how the gospel is going forth to everyone, and he pauses from how his sufferings causing the gospel to go forth, and he pauses from exhortations to the church to live faithfully with the gospel. He pauses from all of these, and he simply goes, 
hey, um, by the way, I'm going to send Timothy to you, and, uh, and then I hope to come to you myself, but in the meantime, I'm sending Epaphroditus to you. But that's ultimately what he does. He just pauses and goes, and here's the travel plans to come to you. Right now I'm sending Epaphroditus, which, by the way, spell check does not get correct. Right? As many times as I've typed it this week, it's not in there. And then he says, later, after my trial, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And then, Lord willing, I will come to you. That's his plan. It seems like an interesting break in the midst of his letter. Why is this his focus? But I believe what we find here within this text is a deep understanding of Paul's of the idea of sending for the gospel. Of sending for the gospel. And not only that, but sending for the gospel and celebrating in the gospel. And so I want us to look at that as we unpack this text. Paul lists his travel log in an interesting format because he doesn't begin with his first person he's sending. He, he begins with Timothy. Timothy is the second person who's going. He begins talking about Timothy, saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Here's all the reasons. And then I'm going to come to you as well. Oh, and by the way, I felt it necessary to go ahead and send Epaphroditus to you right now. He's bringing this letter to you. And in the midst of this travel log and explaining these things, he gives his commendations for the men, for Timothy and for Epaphroditus. He explains why he thinks that they should come, who they are, and why the church should receive them with open arms. So today as we unpack this text, I want us to look at a few things. I want us to pay attention to the men that he sent and what Paul commended in them. I want us to pay attention to Paul's attitude in the sending of them. And then I want us to pay attention to why he sent them in the first place. To do that, let's start with verse 25 in Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him, the Lord, with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your ministry to me. So Paul tells them, now I feel it necessary to immediately, this moment, send to you Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus has a mission from Paul, and his mission is to carry this letter to them, the letter that he is writing. Epaphroditus must, in some moments, feel like he might be a messenger boy. He was sent to Paul from the church in Philippi to minister to Paul. If you remember, if you've been here through our study of Paul, through our study of Philippians, Paul's sitting in prison right now in Rome. And perhaps one of the most classic lines from Colton's sermon last week, as I listened to it online this week, was, if Paul's in prison, think of a prison, and then think of something else, and this is more like whatever else you're thinking of than what you think of as prison. <laughs> right? That to them, to that prison, their Roman prison, it was completely different than anything we have in mind when we think of prison. It was a deeply dark, dangerous, dreadful, deadly place. 
Paul finds himself. And the only hope of survival in that prison is for Paul to be cared for by people on the outside. So the church in Philippi sends Epaphroditus to him to care for him. Not only does he come to care, but he brings word from the church of Philippi. And so Paul writes this letter back to the church, responding to what is happening in Philippi. They're concerned for Paul. Paul, how are you? And Paul goes, I'm great. The gospel's going to everybody in here. But that's how I am. I'm wonderful. The gospel's being spread. That's all that matters. Paul, are you going to get out? Well, I'm waiting on trial, so whatever happens to me, whether I die or I live, it's going to be okay because the gospel's going forth. That's all that matters. Paul, we're, we're suffering some persecution and hardships out here, and it's difficult to remain faithful to the gospel. And Paul goes, stay faithful. Remain faithful. Don't give up. Don't shame yourselves by turning from the gospel, running from your faith, but remain faithful. And do this in humility, considering one another more highly than yourself. Right? He's responding through his letter sent by Epaphroditus back to the church that sent Epaphroditus to care for him. And so he has this man who's there watching him, loving him, caring for him, and Paul's about to send him back to them. You might wonder, perhaps Epaphroditus is of better use to Paul elsewhere. Maybe he's not such a good help to Paul after all. So perhaps it's like, hey, well, you know, who do I have here that I could send and it really wouldn't cost me anything? I, I, I like Ronnie. I like Jake. I like Jake more than Ronnie. I should send Ronnie. That type of thing. Right? Perhaps he's considering who do I like the least Let me get rid of them because they'll be the least loss to me. That's not what we see. For we see within this Paul's great affection for Epaphroditus, his great respect for him and his commendation of him. He calls him his brother. His his brother in Christ, his brother in closeness and affection, his fellow worker, a co-laborer of the same job with the same goal of the gospel, his fellow soldier, a militaristic term of fighting side by side in war. Remember writing to a colony of veterans? He calls him a messenger and a minister to my every need. And then he says this, he almost died, but God was graceful to me that he did it, for I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Does that sound like a guy that you're eager to get rid of? This is a, a brother that's deep to Paul's heart, whom he loved deeply, who cared for him deeply, so much so that we actually see that Epaphroditus almost dies caring for Paul. He has come to Paul to minister to his needs, and in the process of ministering to his needs, has become sick, and he's almost died to the point of death, Paul says. Twice he mentions it. And yet he's remained faithful to me, but not to me, to the gospel. So Paul loves this brother, and he's sending him back to them. Why is it necessary for Paul to send Epaphroditus to them? Look at this, verse 26. He says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Paul finds it necessary to immediately send him back to them 
because Epaphroditus is longing for them, even to the point of distress. And Paul doesn't condemn him for this. Paul doesn't get in his face and say, hey, Epaphroditus, whatever short for that, Epiph, why don't you you get your act together, man? Stay focused. You're here to minister to me. I'm in prison. You're free. Your longing is weak, pathetic, sad. Just man up and stay here and minister to me. Look at me. I could die. Paul sees his longing for his home, for his family, for his friends, for his church. And Paul goes, that is reason enough for me to send you. Go back to them. Go home. Go go home. The longing in your heart should be a possible reason for at least a deep consideration of where you go and who you're with. Epaphroditus longs for this church in Philippi, longs to be back with them, and he's distressed because they've heard he's sick. He's concerned about them knowing how he is. Remember, there's no email, there's no text messages. Right? There's no Snapchat to send a photo of him smiling so they know he's okay. Letters going back and forth, they've heard that he's sick. They're worried about his life. And Paul goes, and you should have been worried about his life. He almost died. Epaphroditus, because of your longing, I'm sending you back to them. Not just because of Epaphroditus' longing, but because the church of Philippi would rejoice in seeing him. Verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Right? I am wanting to send him to you because he's longing for you and because it will cause rejoicing in you when you see him. And I long for you to rejoice. I want what will bring rejoicing to your hearts, church. So I send him to you. Do you notice a trend along with the rest of the book? Where Paul's in prison and he's like, hey, I might die and I might live. If I had to choose which one, I would choose to die because I'd get to see Jesus. But it would be better for you, for me to live. So I would choose living because I'm more concerned about what's better for you than what's better for me. Then he tells them, be humble and think of others more highly than yourself. And care for one another. Look to one another's interests. Have concern for each other. There's this theme going through that the gospel drives us as the church to, one, consider each other greater than we consider ourselves so that we look out for each other's needs before we even look out for ours. And two, to consider the cause of evangelism, to share, declare the gospel with the lost, more important than our own needs, our own health, our own benefits, so that we will do that whatever the cost. It's a drive he has. And here, he's exemplifying it himself. Epaphroditus is here for my benefit and my good. Huh. But it would bring rejoicing to you and it would ease his longing heart if he left me. So I would rather that than me to receive the benefit of him staying here. Unless we think that Paul's writing this begrudgingly, 
man, I, I, I would much rather him stay here, but since he's like longing all this time and you guys need some rejoicing, I'll send him your way. Paul goes, it would actually ease my anxious heart for him to come to you. My heart is anxious, not because he's here ministering to me. My heart's anxious because he is longing for you, and you're needing to rejoice in seeing him, and you're not getting to do that right now. So my heart is anxious. I want to calm my anxious heart by seeing you two reunited. There's this mass consideration of Paul's for others in the sending of Epaphroditus. And so he looks at him and he says, I'm sending you to them. Then we look at the commendation. Paul says this. Indeed, verse 27, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should sorrow, have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Right, Paul's commendation of him is not, hey, Epaphroditus is a nice guy. Or, hey, Epaphroditus, uh, he, he brought me good food. His commendation of Epaphroditus is this. He was sent by you with a mission to minister to me for the sake of the gospel. And despite almost dying, he remained faithful to the work of the gospel. When Paul commends him, Paul's com- commendation of Epaphroditus is he almost died being faithful to Jesus. And he never quit being faithful. So welcome him with honor. Welcome him with joy. Love him well when he comes back to you. This is a brother to look to, for in the face of death he remained faithful. Because remember, they are struggling with the persecution and the hardships beginning, and they're struggling to remain faithful. And he says, he almost died, church, and he remained faithful. Look to him and find strength. Honor him. For he remained faithful to the work of Christ. In this, in this commendation, Epaphroditus demonstrated the very purpose of this entire letter for us, church. Paul writes this letter and has been driving forward with a message. And this message is this. Give everything for the gospel. If it costs you imprisonment, if it costs you shame, if it costs you a destroyed reputation or insignificance or beatings or death or even grave sickness. Give everything for the gospel. Give your life for partnership in the gospel, using your days and your nights as long as you have them and in whatever condition you receive them to declare and display the gospel. Use your days and your nights as long as you have them and in whatever condition you receive them to declare and display the gospel. No matter what condition sun rises in your life, and in what condition it sets in your life today. Use the day and the night for the gospel. That's been his driving force through this whole letter. And in sending Epaphroditus back, he goes, he's doing that. To the point of death, he's doing that. This is the guy that Paul looked to and said, 
take him. Take him. The best of the best, the most faithful, take him. Because it would bring rejoicing to you. Let's look at Timothy. Verse 19. <laughs> and I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how he was a son with a father, um, how he, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Who is Timothy to Paul? Paul calls him his son. Right? Not his biological son. He's definitely his spiritual son and his ministerial son. One that he has poured into and invested and loved and raised up and developed. One who is faithful to Paul. He has Paul's heart at mind. When Paul knows and talks about what it looks like to care for the church, he says there's no one else like Timothy. He has a heart for you and for the gospel like I do, like no one else does. Perhaps he's contrasting here those that we saw in chapter 1 who are outside of prison, who are using Paul's shame and imprisonment for their benefit. Perhaps he's looking to some of those and going, they're not like Timothy. He's far superior than that. He loves Jesus first and foremost. We don't really know who he's comparing him to. We just know he goes, he's above the rest in his love of the gospel and his love of the church. And notice what he compares here. He says in verse 20, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So he says, listen, Timothy is seeking the concerns of Jesus Christ because Timothy has genuine concern for you. What Paul's saying is, if you want to know what, the, what concerns Christ, what interests Christ, it's the church. And it's their faithfulness to the gospel. And he goes, Timothy is genuinely concerned about you. Concerned that you'll remain faithful. Concerned that you'll continue to proclaim the gospel. Concerned that you won't drift in your faithfulness. He has deep concern for you because he cares about what God cares about. I'm going to send him to you. I'm going to send him to you. Why? Why does he send him? Well, surely he sends him to encourage and care for the church. We see this in verse 20. He has genuine concern for them. He genuinely cares for them. He genuinely wants to see them flourish. He wants to see them faithful. So he's going to encourage and care for them probably to update them on Paul's status because Paul says, I'm sending him to you as soon as I find out how my trial goes. So it's very likely he's coming with news of the trial. This is what has taken place. This is what has happened with Paul. But Paul gives a primary reason. And at first it may seem selfish. Paul's primary reason for sending Timothy to the church at Philippi is this, verse 19. 
I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered up by news of you. I'm sending him to you so that I may find cheer when I receive news back of you. What is he referring to? What is he talking about? Paul's ultimate concern for the writing of this letter, the purpose of writing this, is that he wants to see the gospel continue to progress and advance through the church at Philippi in the midst of their persecution and hardships. And so he's writing a letter, pressing them to do that, pushing them to their faithfulness to this, and he's sending it with Epaphroditus to take to them immediately. They will receive this letter, it will be read to them, and they will have a choice to make. Are we faithful to what he's telling us to do to be faithful to the gospel or do we drift away? And Paul says, then I'm sending Timothy. And Paul's eager expectation is that Timothy arrives in Philippi to find them faithful to the gospel. Paul won't find rejoicing. He won't find cheer if Timothy shows up and Timothy's word back to him is, they've fallen off the deep end, Paul. Like they're, they're, they're not even gathering together and worshiping. They're not sharing the gospel with anyone. They, they've completely turned from their faith. It doesn't bring Paul cheer. Paul's hope and his expectation is that when Epaphroditus delivers the letter and they read it, they will be strengthened by news of what the Lord is doing through Paul's imprisonment and suffering. They will be strengthened by the news of what is happening amongst the church in Rome. They will be strengthened by the news of Paul going, whatever insignificance or shame comes upon me, so be it as long as the gospel goes forth. They will be strengthened by Paul going, consider one another. They will be strengthened by Paul going, be humble. They will be strengthened by Paul pressing them to persevere in their faith. And when Timothy shows up, Timothy will find them pressing forward in their faith, declaring and displaying the gospel. And Paul goes, when I hear that, it will give me much, much, much cheer. Much cheer. That's what he's hoping in. He's hoping in the gospel. And the gospel's movement throughout Philippi through their faithfulness. Why? Why is the gospel and its proclamation what a man sitting in prison is holding to and hoping for, for cheer? A man who is sitting on death row awaiting his trial says, you know what will bring me great cheer? If I hear of your faithfulness to the gospel. It's because for Paul, the gospel, this man by the name of Jesus Christ literally wrecked his entire life, changed everything about him, changed everything he lived for and held dear to, changed everything he valued and loved, changed his entire perspective and focus, changed all he would spend himself on. Why? We're asking that question a lot today, aren't we? Paul looks to the gospel, and in the gospel, he finds 
his very life. For Paul, we understand from his writings to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 that the gospel makes dead people alive. The gospel makes dead people alive. Let me read it for you in case you weren't here to go through Ephesians with us a year and a half ago. Ephesians 2, verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Hear this. But God, being rich in mercy because of great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The gospel makes dead people alive. It takes people who are dead and it gives them life. As we sit in this room today and we look across the aisles at each other, we're not simply a gathering of people who have decided to worship and follow Jesus, but we're a gathering of people who were dead and have been resurrected to life through the power of Jesus. We weren't dead in the sense that our hearts had stopped beating and our lungs had stopped breathing and there was no pulse within us. We were dead in the sense that there was no spiritual life or vitality in us. There was no commitment or love or affection for the one true creator God who made us for that very purpose within us. And Jesus Christ interrupted our lives, came colliding with us and saved us when he died on the cross for us, calling us to him and bringing us back to life had nothing to do with my ability to come to him or my desire to clean myself up. I was dead and I wanted nothing to do with him. I wanted to do with me. Joshua Hedger loved Joshua Hedger. I cared about myself and my good and my benefit and my sustaining. And Christ interrupted me and said, it's not what it's all about. And he changed my heart so that I would want him and desire him and love him. And in doing so, he put life in my dead being. The gospel makes dead people alive. The gospel makes condemned people innocent. He says here that we were all objects of wrath, but by grace we have been Saved. Ephesians. Condemned. An object of wrath. There wasn't an option. It's not, hey, you're on trial. Let's see how this goes. It was from, it says, from your very beginning, from your birth, by the very fact that you took breath in this life, your heart was rebellious towards God. You lived for yourself, desiring yourself to be God, and as thus, you are an object of God's wrath. There's no way around it. The gospel intercepted your life. And it took those who are objects of God's wrath, and instead it made them innocent people. Why? Because Jesus himself was sent by God because of God's mercy, grace, and love for us. Christ was sent by him, died on the cross, taking the wrath that was yours. It's not that the punishment was ignored, forgotten, or thrown away. The punishment was inflicted. Your wrath was inflicted. It was inflicted on Jesus instead of you. Jesus took God's wrath that was yours. 
so that you might receive, as Ephesians 2 says, God's kindness. That was Jesus's. Even in the heart of God, sending for the gospel, sending my son, his son taking his wrath so that you might receive his kindness. The gospel makes dead people alive. It makes condemned people innocent. It gives aimless people purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, because of this, because he has taken the wrath that was due us and because we've been giving, been giving God's kindness, we now can walk in good works for which God prepared for us before. These good works Paul's playing out for us in Philippians, it is a life spent on the declaring and displaying of the gospel. It is a life spent for the sake of the gospel, a life spent in partnership in the gospel. A life that had no purpose or meaning now given eternal purpose and meaning. You're walking aimlessly. Your purpose, your meaning is found in the gospel. The gospel makes dead people alive. It makes condemned people innocent. It gives aimless people purpose. And the gospel gives dying people hope. As we see from Paul in Philippians 1, I may die, I may live, to live is Christ. That's my purpose. But to die is my gain. Because in death I have nothing to fear, and in death I have nothing to lose. In death I have all to gain, for in death I receive the very thing that the very one who, who took my wrath, the very one who gave me kindness, the very one who made me alive, and the very one who declared me innocent by paying my penalty, the very one for whom my life is spent on purpose living for, I receive Jesus. At death, I get Jesus. So let me die. For he's who I have. He's who I want. He's who I'm going to. And if you're here with us today, and you're not a follower of Christ, you've never trusted in Christ, you've never hoped in Jesus, everything Paul's saying in Philippians makes no sense unless you get the gospel. Because Paul's calling us to give our whole life to the proclamation of the gospel, which makes absolutely no sense unless we understand what the gospel actually is and what it gave us. The gospel made us alive. It made us innocent. It gave us purpose. And it gives us hope in our death. All because of the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross to take our wrath and give us his kindness. You've never trusted Jesus. Would you do that today? Would you hope and trust in Jesus today? That's why Paul finds cheer. Paul goes, I'm sending Timothy to you, and my expectation is that he will return to me with news that you are remaining faithful to the gospel. And that will give me much cheer. For the gospel makes dead people alive and innocent, or uh, condemn people innocent. And it gives us purpose. And it gives us hope. I will have cheer in your faithfulness to it. For I know it means you're remaining faithful, and I know it means the gospel's going forth. That gives me cheer.
right? Paul is celebrating the gospel and its work. And he's sending those who are closest to him for the sake of the gospel and its work. And when Paul gives a commendation to Timothy, he says this, he has proven his worth by remaining faithful to partnership in the gospel. He has a heart for the gospel in the church. That's his commendation of Timothy. He's remained faithful. You all have seen it, he says. You've all witnessed it. He has remained faithful. What a great thing to be said about us. Be said about you. If there's one thing that your church could say about you, would we long for it to be he's faithful, she's faithful. He's faithful to the gospel. He's faithful to the gospel. It doesn't matter what comes at them in life, they're faithful. They walk in faith. And if that's not you, if you're not faithful church member, that's what can't be said about you. If you're doubtful and if you're straying and if you're wondering and if there's days where it seems like there's more fear and struggle than there is faithfulness, he will hold you fast. Don't live in condemnation for he has declared you innocent. Don't slip back to a mindset of death for he has given you life. Hold to his faithfulness, for he will not let go. So in conclusion today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, would you become one today? Would you trust him today? Would you open him today? Would you cling to him today to make you alive and to make you innocent, to give you purpose and to give you hope? If you don't know how to do that or what that looks like or what it means to follow him, if you have questions about that, we would love to talk to you about that. I'll be at the back of the table. I'd love to talk to you. Covenant members, raise your hand. Find someone with their hand raised. They can tell you what it means to follow Jesus. If they can't, we got another talk with them. We would love to tell you what it looks like to follow Jesus what it means to trust and hope in Jesus. And church, in conclusion for you, be faithful to the partnership in the gospel. Have genuine concern for the church's full embrace of the gospel. Be concerned about our church. Be concerned about your fellow members. Be concerned about your brothers and sisters in this room embracing the gospel with their lives. Be concerned about it. Take it into consideration. Pray for it. Ask God for his faithfulness and ask God for our faithfulness. Encourage, exhort, promote, move one another to faithfulness. Give your life for partnership in the gospel, using your days and your nights as long as you have them and in whatever condition you receive them to declare and display the gospel. And church, we will be a church that sins our best. We will be a church that sins more, I hope, than we keep. That reality is coming at us quickly right now as a church. 
As we exist to see churches multiply and we train men to be pastors, we have a growing amount of those men who are ending their time training with us who will be leaving from us. And it is my hope and my dream and my prayer that when they leave us, they don't leave by themselves, but they take you with them. And that is painful. And that is sorrowful. It's nerve-wracking. Terrifying. Sometimes anxious. And it is right. And it is good. And it is something to celebrate. For most likely, every one of you will leave this church at some point whether that's being sent by us to plant or start a church, whether that's your job taking you someplace else, whether that's your education coming to an end and you moving, whether that's you just simply getting older and life changes and you move and things happen, you find somewhere else the Lord's led you to, whether that's Emmaus never existing at some point. All of that is okay. Because what we long for is for the gospel to go forth to the Northland, to the Metro, to the nations. From you to them, faithfulness to Jesus, declaring and displaying the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, would you make us this faithful church that we would be a people who sinned and celebrate for the gospel. That we send one another with joy for the declaration of the gospel. That we don't look to keeping each other in our lives for our own benefit, but that as Paul, we would give up what is a blessing to us now so that the gospel may go forth and bless others. So may we embrace that loneliness and those separations with anticipation of cheer, awaiting to hear the stories of the gospel being proclaimed faithfully. And then, Lord, may we be a church who celebrates the gospel To do so, may we remember often what the gospel is. May we remind ourselves and each other often of what the gospel is. That we have been made alive, that we have been proclaimed innocent, that we have been given purpose, and that we have hope. All because of Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. May we even now Remember that as we celebrate communion. Church, as we do every Sunday, we end our time in the word with communion. We come and we literally tear off the bread ourselves to remind ourselves that it's our sin. It's our sin for which Christ died. That his body was broken on the cross to forgive you. And then we dip it in the juice reminding us that his body was covered in his blood to forgive you for your sin so that you might receive God's kindness.
So as we come and take, would you remember that church and would this be a moment of celebration? And then if you are not a follower of Christ, we'd ask you not to come take. We would ask you to remain in your seat as we do this. But this is something for the family of Christ who have trusted in Christ and hoped in Christ. The invitation for you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is not to come take bread and juice today, but for you to take Jesus today. So would you do that? Would you trust in him? If you're to my right or the middle front half, would you come down this aisle, take from this table, and go back to your seat down the outside aisle over here? If you're in the middle section, back half, or my, this side to my left, would you come down the outside aisle over here, take from this spread, and then come back to your seats down this way? Church, would you come and take with us? Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.